On tonight's episode, Fred Zinke of Yahoo Sports joins us for a comprehensive discussion on trading strategy, how to trade, when to trade, fairness of trades, and of course, how risk fits into the equation. Plus, we will have our waiver wire picks, pitcher preview, and an extended mailbag. Beat the Shift is next. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Uh, I actually went into the city, into my office for the first time in 16 and a half months. Uh, incredible day here. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I've been doing that in the medical field for the past year or so. I missed like three months because of COVID, but otherwise... Everything's going smoothly, still wearing, doing the proper precautions because we don't want to have an, any sort of new outbreak or more of an outbreak than what's going on because unlike football, baseball doesn't give that stiff of penalties when it comes to, you know, testing positive for COVID. Yeah. Uh, you know, know you never know what's, that. Yeah, you never know what's going to go on uh, in, in uh, the world in the winter. You know, uh, uh, hey, listen, flu season is there, and there's always risk that, uh, you know, COVID will increase in the winter, and I, I surely hope it doesn't. Uh, I surely hope we don't go backwards, but uh, I'll take what I can, and great to be back in the office. Well, we've got a great episode today. I want to bring on the show from Yahoo Sports, Fred Zinke. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, our pleasure, and we brought you on to talk about uh, trading in our strategy section today, all about trading. Uh, Fred does quite a bit of trading in his expert leagues, and I'm sure home leagues as well. He's pretty good at it, so uh, we picked the right guy to talk about it. And just to throw out very, very generally to you to start, what is your general trading philosophy? Um, I... Well, uh, my, I say my general trading philosophy in the first half of the season is to try to acquire what I perceive to be um, an uptick in value, even if that uptick's very minor, but to not, an uptick in value. And then my trading philosophy in the second half of the season is to attack categories that I think are necessary for me to move up in the standing. So I kind of have two different philosophies at two different uh, points in the season. My gosh, that was exactly the same answer I was about to give, by the way. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's that's the (laughs) I think that's that's really the best way to go about it. And you know, some people when you talk about oh, I want to get value, some people say, well, that means you have to like rip the other person off in a deal. Um, But it doesn't because the great thing about fantasy baseball is that we don't all agree on how valuable the players are, and that's why we see different waiver wire bids every every week in fab leagues and that's why we see people drafting different teams out of different spots throughout march so it's it's actually not that hard to find trades that both people are quite satisfied with because you know we, we all value players differently and our values of each player go up and down throughout the season right and the only thing i'll add to that is that it's a little bit harder these days to to trade in terms of overall value because you know as projections come more commonplace um, I think that people's perceptions of players are getting a little bit closer to another. I know for me, you know, I'm doing the ATC projections, 
A lot of people have my book, so uh, it's hard. And you know, and, and also when you're coming right out of a draft, you know, you 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 buy a player for ten dollars because you think he's a ten dollar player, and somebody else buys a player for ten dollars because he thinks it's a ten dollar player, and not that they're a, a six dollar player. So it's a little bit hard right after a draft to trade because you know you're higher on somebody. That's why you bought him. Uh, so it's not not exactly. I, I um, but you know, as you go on a month or two in the season, then things get a little bit. Uh, more spread apart as the season has unfolded. Yeah, I I, I will make some April trades. Um, you're right that it's different depending on whether it was a draft or an auction. If it's a draft, um, I will come out of that draft and, and look at the draft picks and think, you know, I might think like, man, I was picking third, but if I was picking 13th, like I would have been all over the values that this person here got in true, rounds, true. right? Like in rounds on the round three, four turn. So right. I might make a play for one of those guys because they might like one of my early picks. You know, I pick, I picked third. So I got a stud. Like I got someone who everybody loves. Well, maybe, man, they got, I picked 13. They got my like number six guy and I got kind of everybody's number three guy. Maybe this person will give me their first rounder and someone else I like they took in the middle rounds for my guy took third overall. There's always ways there because like let's be honest, if we just drafted at different spots, we'd have different rosters. And then uh, with an auction or a salary cap draft, uh, like you said, like you, you'll grab the guy who you think is worth ten, and I'll grab the guy who I think is worth ten. But it's not quite that cut and dry. Where sometimes certain players will go at certain points in the auction and I'll think oh I can't believe they got you know I can't believe they just got Tyler O'Neill for three bucks like I would have I would have paid seven for him but my outfield's full or I would have paid seven for him but I just don't have it anymore so I'll bookmark on my sheet you know some of the deals that I thought were the best and if someone else got two or three of the deals that I thought were the best then I might go to them afterwards and say, you know, I really like the deals you got on a couple guys. Like, like, do you, did you like the prices I paid for a couple guys? Maybe there's a way we can do a two for one or something like that. So you're right. April trading is a little trickier in that regard, but, um, but there are still ways to get a deal done. Although some people just won't deal in April. There are people who just want to draft their team and sit on it till May. And I get that. It's their team. They can do what they want with it. Yeah, I'm I'm one of those guys actually. I don't like doing these early trades because a lot of these early trades, they get the the rest of the league looks at it. They're like, wait a second, this isn't fair, and you get so many vetoes very early on in the season because everyone has such different values for different players. You think you're granting getting a great deal, someone else is granting getting a great deal, and everyone else in the league thinks that one team is fleecing the other one. So it's so hard to do it later. And you know what? When it comes down to trading, I my personal opinion is we only go to trade for a need. I really don't try to stockpile anything when it comes to trades early in the season. And I really look for if I have a glaring need, if a player goes down real early, that's something I'll go after. But otherwise, I tend to rely more on my drafting skills and try to, you know, enhance the enhance my team with trades occasionally, but not that often. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'll, I'll also add is that uh, in the middle of the year, you might come up with a roster surplus on on your team. And so, uh, you know, if you have three shortstops on your bench, all who you probably should not be dropping, that's another area where, all right, I've got an extra shortstop. Maybe I'm a little bit thin pitching. You can swap like-for-like like value and uh, just, you know, get rid of the roster surplus. Question to you, though, Fred, is how do you know when you should look for a trade versus just playing the waiver wire? I mean, certainly if, let's say, a uh, big guy 
Tyler Glass now gets hurt. Um, I mean, sure, I'd love to have another pitcher, but it's going to cost me uh, uh, if I trade for him. Should I just go to the waiver wire? Or, or you know, uh, uh, how, how do you know when to say, well, in order to fill the need, I need to do it the trade route. Of course, waiver wire, you don't have to give up any assets other than your fab capital. Yeah, no. Well, and sometimes the two things complement each other where, like you said, you may have an injury and you may think, I think I'm going to go to the waiver wire. And then you look at the waiver wire and you're like, I think I'm going to go to the trades. <laughs> you know, I've looked at the waiver wire and I have now changed my mind. I am not impressed with what's available. Um, I, I, I go to the trade markets in a different way sometimes. Um, just as I'm following baseball and fantasy baseball, sometimes ideas pop into my head and, and I see maybe like an angle on something. So, you know, like like an, a really obvious one would be like Luis Castillo struggled mightily for the first couple months of the season. Um, and there were numerous buy low opportunities out there. If I was a guy who believed in Luis Castillo, um, which, which I didn't trade for him in any leagues, but that's an obvious one that pops in my head. You know, like I could be following Luis Castillo. I could he, I could hear him discussed on some podcasts and I could be like, wow, the market is really down on this guy. I don't think I'm quite as down on him as the market is. You know what? I think I'll approach the Luis Castillo owner in a couple of my leagues and just see how down they are. Like I'll throw them out something that's a buy low, but reasonable buy low, and just see what they say. Or, or again, I might ha- I have Castillo and NL Tout, and I didn't sell low on him, but you know there might have been a point where where I'm just like, you know what, I'm done with this guy. I'm gonna find a, a fifty cents on the dollar deal, and, and I'm out. So a lot of my trade negotiations sometimes they're spurred by, like you said, like I had an injury to a closer or something like that, or or I'm lagging behind in, in home runs and I need to find a home run hitter. Um, but they're often more individual player base where I'll see a player out there and I'm just like, okay, I think, I, I think I've become higher on this person. Maybe I'm doing research writing an article and I'm like, okay, this guy, I, I, I like what I see here. I think I'm higher than the market on this guy. I'm going to go and put a fair offer in on him or, or I'm lower than this guy. I'm going to try to get him off my team you know, before other people maybe feel the same way about him I do. So sometimes mine are individual player based, at least in the first half of the season. Now they're more category based where I'm looking for certain types of players. Moving. Yeah, I, I totally agree. In the very beginning, you should be looking for certain players that, you know what, that's the player that I want. I did, you know, every week we, we scour the waiver wire and we're saying, okay, we can we can get this category on the waiver wire, we can get this category on the waiver wire, and that's, there's a certain trend in the waiver wire where you can get, like, people usually go after saves on the waiver wire or stolen bases, that type of thing. But it's very hard to find power on the waiver wire. It's very hard to find those big high strikeout uh, pictures on the waiver wire unless you're, unless you're going to go for the trade. And those are the guys you have to target. And sometimes you need to package a couple of guys together to get that one big name. Yeah, I I, I tend to uh, go for on the waiver wire. Um, you can find the 250, uh, 25 homer guys, you know, depending upon the depth of your league. You can find a 450 ERA, 135 whip, 9K per nine. You can find that in streaming. Uh, I would not trade for somebody like that because those are not unique profiles. Or even if, you know, sure, you can't find a 30 homer guy in the waiver wire, but you can find a 25 homer guy. Certainly not worth giving up an asset to gain five more homers. Uh, It's the uniqueness. Uh, To me, it's the uniqueness of the player profile. You're not going to make up somebody who steals 30 stolen bases. You're not going to make up closers that are really good. You're not going to make up 20. 20 players. Uniqueness of profile is very important, and that's what I look for 
for trading. If I need, uh, if I either need someone or if I think that somebody is undervalued with a unique profile, that's when I'd want to trade. So the question to you, Fred, is how do you identify what to trade for um, in, to help your roster, and how do you identify what you can trade with from your roster to get it? Right. So, so during the value phase, um, you know, I like what to trade for is just players who I feel maybe the I, I feel are maybe undervalued by the market right now. Um, during the the stand, like now that we're into the second half, during that like standings phase, um, it's a little more. I think maybe it's a little more clear cut where you know I'm looking at the standings. I'm not looking at the categories that I'm bad in. I think that's always misleading advice like when 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 people say like you know we'll find your weakest categories and address those weaknesses well huh, that's like okay in april but by now like like you might be hopeless in some of those categories you might be second last staring way up at third last so i'm looking for the tightly bunched categories and the ones where i can make a move uh in those and i also have to one thing that you have to look at at this point in the year is so you want to move up in certain categories. Well, like your roster's probably changed throughout the season so far. So is your current roster already poised to move up in that category? Or, you know, is it still the same old, same old? So for example, maybe you're in a tightly bunched home run race. Um, you know, so you think, oh, I got to go and get a home run hitter. Well, maybe you've already added some home run hitters off waivers the last like three weeks. They just haven't totally taken effect yet. So it's it's not just looking at the categories, but it's also looking at the categories and what you honestly think the potential is uh, is for your roster. I have a league where I'm tightly bunched in steals, but I have modesty on my IR. Well, normally I would want to go out and make a trade for a base stealer, but I don't because I'm going to roll the dice on Modesty coming back. I think that's a, a fair gamble to take to try to win that league or at least to push ahead in the steals category. So you, you got to kind of compare your roster with, with the categories at this point. Yeah, that's a fair point. And actually I was going to make the same exact point that it's not what you're bad in, it's what the tightly bunched. The word for that yeah. is uh, it's categories with a high gradient. Yeah. Uh, and it's where it, when it's tightly bunched, and it's not just where you can gain, but it also could be where you can lose. You know, if you have yep. 75 homers and the next cat, the next couple are uh, in your category of 70, 74, 73, 72, 71, you could stand to lose four points really easily. So I would trade for homers there so that you don't lose any points. And of course, conversely, the other way around, if you got 71 homers and the next couple uh, ahead of you are 72, 73, 74. Well, that's a fantastic place to trade with. It's the high gradient, not the what do I need? Um, you know, um, well, there's, there's, there's actually yeah. one other aspect that you're not thinking about there. Let's say you're in third place. Look at the teams ahead of you. What where are they in those in the categories that you're behind them in? How close are you? Because if you can catch up in that Double one points. category, yeah. it's a two point swing. Either way, you can knock them down one and you go up one. So you have to look at those categories also. Yeah. How do you engage teams for trades? Um, do you either reach out individually with people um, and, and give them initial offers? Do you uh, and do you lowball offers initially because you know you can always negotiate, or do you give people something really close to the final offer? Do you uh, do like a trade block thing where you just shout out to the league, guys? I'm trading this guy, or guys, I need a shortstop, and you know get offers. How do you engage the team that you do? Yeah, I try to never do the trade block thing. I find I've never had any great experiences with that. Like, I find I don't get much back from it. Um, I think it's maybe too vague sometimes for people to work with. Although, that being said, I guess I have seen some people. Scott Pianowski does a good job sometimes of, I'll see him throw out a trade block, like a league-wide email, 
And then like 12 hours later, I'll see him make a trade. So it, it does happen. I've never had great experiences with it. So I will usually make um, my initial offers. Like they'll be like, if they're not my best offer, they'll be pretty close. And often I, I think they are like pretty much my best offer, but in there, we're going to try to, we can like, we can massage the players a bit. Cause sometimes maybe I'll, I'll offer a trade and then someone will write me back and be like, Oh, like, I don't like, I don't like the guy you're sending. Like that's he's not one of my guys. I don't like that guy. And I'm like, okay, sure. Well, we'll, we'll just go in another direction here. Maybe we can still make it work. So, uh, I try not to send the really, I try not to send really bad offers. Uh, once in a while, someone will construe it that way because they just don't really don't like someone that I have, especially someone, maybe some of the more polarizing players, um, you know, like a Luis Castillo a couple months ago, like what was that guy worth? Well, to some people, he was still worth a lot. To some people, he, there, some people were dropping him in shallow leagues. So um, yeah, I try to make a pretty good offer at the beginning. I try to make an offer. Um, if I'm sending an email instead of making an offer, uh, which I may do, if it's, especially if it's someone I know pretty well, there'll probably be an offer or at least the like the bones of an offer in that email. Like, like, hey, I'm looking to get a shortstop. You've got this guy and this guy. Um, you know, I've got starting pitching to deal. Can you name me? Here are my names and my starters. Can you tell me a couple starters on my team you like? And then I will offer to do the work. So I'll say, you tell me a couple of my starters you like. And I will send you an offer for a shortstop, like in one or two offers for a shortstop that I hope you'll like. Um, I try to try to do the legwork for them and make the the process like if I like I I want to do the trade, so I'm going to do the work and, and make things easier for them. Right. Do you, do you find that um, you, you know if you're giving final offers or something close to it? Um, I don't know. There's always negotiation. Do you find it works better, or is that more of a long-term play? Because you know, hey, if you're going to trade with Fred Zinke, that's his best offer. He's not going to change it. Does that help you in the long run? You think? Yeah, I mean, I'll change a lot. So, and what I one thing that I try to do uh, is I try to give the other owner as much control over the process as possible. So, um, like, I'll I'll say to them, like, like I'll ask them, like, can you name? name a couple infielders on my team you like or name a couple starters on my team you like or or I might say like um you know I I need to get this pitcher I want to get Brandon Woodruff from you I need a pitcher you've got Brandon Woodruff and Carlos Rodon and Clayton Kershaw let's say Kershaw is healthy right now you know I'd really like to get one of them you tell me which one you're going to give you want to give me and then I'll uh, and I'll make an offer for him you tell me what, like I try to give the other person right. as much control over the trade negotiations as possible I find that works well for people because what we're I mean it sounds kind of pie in the sky to say like we're looking to make both people happy but we are especially if you're going to play in these leagues for a long time and especially because we all value the players differently I would order those three if Kershaw was healthy I'd probably go Woodruff Kershaw Rodon but if we went around the room you guys might order them differently um so if I was approaching you for a trade, I might say, you got all three, you know, which one do you want? Which one do you want to deal? And then, and then we'll start from there. Again, that gives you more control over the process and makes it more likely we'll find something that you like. Ruve? Yeah, I, I agree because if, if you send out a, a, an uh, offer that's just totally off the wall or, or in quote unquote, insulting the intelligence of the other team or the other player, they're not going to want to, number one, they're not going to want to trade with you. Number two, they're not going to think you're serious. And number three, 
sometimes they'll send an email blast to the rest of the league making fun of that trade offer, and then that screws you up for the entire league. So you have to be very careful what kind of offers you to send out. Because if you don't, if you send out the wrong type of offer, you may be not being able to make a trade in that in that league forever. And and that in home leagues that happens all the time. People say this person you can't trade with him because he's going to screw you over because he's only looking for the best for him. He's not really thinking about both sides. But if you give a serious offer the first time or a semi-serious offer that sort of makes sense for both teams and you're able to rationale it out saying that you need this i need this let's get this to work and these two players or these three players fit the profile then they'll be more serious and the rest of the league will take you seriously also if those if that's what you do yeah do you think there's do you think there's such a thing as, as a bad offer that you know you send something and that's so insulting to somebody yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> there, yeah there, like there are sometimes. I try to always send. So with any offer, I try to send one short paragraph explaining my rationale behind it. I say short paragraph. I'm gonna say three sentences on average. Maybe four. Maybe two. But I'd say about three sentences, just saying like, you know, hey, I'm looking for help in the steals category, preferably an infielder. Um, I, I have extra starting pitching to deal. I noticed that, uh, you know, you're behind a large group of teams in strikeouts. So I thought that maybe that, and, and you're third in steals. So I, th I think that we're a good match. Um, so there, so now I've laid out kind of what, why I think this should be interesting to them. And then I might say something like, you know, like, like out of, you know, a player A, B, and C, I'd like to get one of those players from you. And I thought you might like one of players X, Y, Z from me. So if this offer doesn't work for you, you know, let me know who you do like from my pitching group. So I'm trying, I'm giving them an offer. I'm telling them why I think it, it makes sense from a categories perspective for both teams. And then I'm going to tell them why it makes sense, I think, from a talent perspective for both teams. But I'm also going to throw that caveat of, like, if you don't agree with me, like if I'm offering you, uh, you know, uh, Corbin Burns and you're like, I don't want Corbin Burns. He's already used up too many innings this year. Like, I'm not going to get enough innings out of him the rest of the way. Then I'm like, okay, cool, no problem. Like, Corbin Burns isn't the guy. Like, let's just figure out one of my other guys. So uh, I try to try to explain it. But, like, I don't want to write the, I don't want to write a novel for for that other owner because I don't think they're gonna want I don't think they want to hear that um, and sometimes I'll back it up with a little stat um, so for example I made a trade the other day and I just said to the person like not that the ESPN player raider is the be all and end all but our the two players we were trading were within five spots overall on the ESPN player raider so and I'm sure I could have gone to the Yahoo player raider and they would have been same type of thing so I you know I'm kind of saying like hey like some of these rating systems kind of have these guys really close to each other. Just, just kind of showing that if, if, if you think I'm out to lunch on it, like I'm probably, I mean, I'm probably not. Right. Right. Um, is there ever a situation where you would tell another player, another team, what your offer was and re up someone? So, you know, do, do you exclusively work with one team or you say, all right, listen, I'm trying to uh, unload uh, this person. Um, you know, uh, okay, w what do you got? And then somebody uh, tells you an offer, uh, I'll give you this player. And you say, all right, but you know what? The other guy offered me that guy. You got to do better. Does that ever happen to you? So I, I will never tell someone about negotiations with another team at all so i might so the most i would tell them was like i was talking i've been also talking about talking with tom about trading him this player that's all i'll tell him so i'll never tell i feel like that's a breach of confidentiality i will yeah. never tell the other 
owner like oh tom and i talked about this player and he was offering me this like i never do that um i'll be honest so i might say to someone like hey uh you know i I, i'll move corbin burns but just so you know uh, i am talking to another team or two other teams or whatever about moving a starting pitcher and i'm only going to move one so just so you know, and I'm not putting it under any pressure, but like once I make a starting pitcher trade, whether it's Burns or one of my other aces, then I'm done trading a starting pitcher, I think. So uh, so I, like, I, I don't want to hold a gun to their head, but I'm just giving them like a little bit of perspective. But I, I would, I would have, if possible, avoid saying who I was even talking to. Um, and then if that even came out, like I would never, ever say the contents of those negotiations. I just feel like that's, I feel like trade talks... I would also like Ruben was saying like I would I would I personally would never like if you offered me the worst trade in the world I would not push it out to other people like I just I might tell one friend in the fantasy circles and I probably wouldn't even use your name I'd be like oh my god you're not gonna believe this I just got offered this for this like why are people so crazy but I wouldn't say anything to anyone else in my league I wouldn't be like lol everybody just so you know he offered me this for this like he's so insulting I honestly I just write the person back and be like hey I don't think that offers close for me and then I just drop it right 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 really yeah, I, I I agree. You have to you can bounce it off someone else. Say, you know what, I have an offer for this guy, but another team gave me another offer and it's slightly better than yours. If you say that, then yeah, that's okay. the team you're negotiating with that you're be able to get that last little bit or that one more player that you want. Just say you know you don't have to say names, you don't have to say what players say. I have an offer for this player that I'm speaking to you about, it's just slightly better. Could you do a little bit better? If not, I may end up going with the other guy. It's you know, it, it's it's. I mean, it's your player to be and to be on end all. You get to say wherever he goes. But if you're able to get a little bit more out of the team you're you're trading with, by all means, don't go crazy about it. But just you know, be smart about it. I think there's nothing wrong with with saying that. Uh, listen, I, I got another better offer from somebody else. And, um, you know, short window here. I'm willing to work with you, but you've got to do better. I, I think there's nothing wrong with putting pressure. I mean, I do that in business. You put pressure on markets to get the best offer uh, without telling them the other terms. You don't tell the exact terms. You just say, I've got a better number. You need to beat this. You know? Yeah, and, and I don't know about you guys, but, like, I've always – like, I never lie. So I've never in the 10, 15 years I've been playing in expert leagues, like I've never said to someone, like, I have another offer when I don't. Like, I never I never do that to someone. I never say, like, well, I'm also talking to someone else about Corbin Burns, and I'm really not. I'm just trying to get them to put to push ahead and to make a better offer or something. I never lie because I just feel like that's bad karma, and it'll catch up with you at some point. At some point, you'll get tripped up in it or something. So, um in fact, sometimes I'll even say to the other person, I've got nothing else on the go. So, like, if, if you want to talk trade about this guy, I'm in. But if, if you don't, that's okay. But, like, I got nothing else with anyone else on the go right now. And I, I, right. I take the pressure right off. Right. I want to talk a little bit about risk in trading. Uh, something that nobody really talks about, or if they do, it, 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 I'm sure it, there's not that many people talking about risk. But um, do you think that where your position is in the standings, 
matter. And I say this because, you know, if I'm if I have a lead, if I'm in first place, I think that the types of trades that I'm looking for are very different than the types of trades if I'm in eighth place. And even if I have the same roster, even if I have, you know, some guy gets injured, I need to replace a certain amount of stats. It really matters where I am in the standing uh, as to who I want to get and why I want to do it. Do you have in- incorporate any of that kind of philosophy into when you're trading? Yeah, I, I think I think that's totally true. You know, if you're in the lead right now, uh, diversifying could be it depends right. how deep your roster is, but diversifying could be a good plan, right? Um, but and just picking up players who are are super stable in their roles. Uh, you know, maybe you're in the lead right now and you've got a bit of a hot shot young guy with with some name value to him, like an Alec Manoa or someone like that. Uh, maybe you picked up Duran or something like that. Maybe just, just trading him for those guys for less risky players, veterans with secure jobs and secure track records. I mean, it still may not where you can, you can trade for the most reliable veteran and he can get hurt tomorrow. I oh, mean, it can happen, yeah. but, but, but yeah, like I think so. I think that's, that's not a bad plan. And like you said, like if you're in eighth place, um, trying to, to trade four players who are kind of risky, um, you know, I think, I think there's nothing wrong with, with making that move yeah i think that i think that's totally i also think sometimes when you're making trades too with risk um you can get caught up in the trade talks and sometimes and swept up and sometimes we get swept up in what we're getting and not what we're giving up and you really sometimes need to step back and think like okay am i being realistic in my expectations for these players that i'm getting and sometimes you are, but you just need to step back and be like, okay, so I'm getting, I think of Alec Manoa because I live near Toronto and, and Manoa could be awesome down the stretch or he could be terrible, but sometimes maybe I'm talking trade for him and I'm like, okay, I need to step back here. Like, am I actually painting a picture here where I get like the 95th percentile version of Alec Manoa? And am I really willing to pay for that in a trade right now? You know, or am I just am I just swept up in the negotiations on a player who's who's admittedly pretty risky for the rest of the season? Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, when I'm looking at my roster, uh, come this time of year in late July, when you know, right before a trade deadline, um, you know, I'm I'm looking at my roster and I'm saying, listen, do I? I of course, value is important, but you know, as you said before, we're shifting to more categorical approach. The raw, straight-up value is a little bit less of an issue. I'm looking at risk. If I'm in first place, I want to, you know, de-risk. So take a guy like Mark Canna, okay? He's not super sexy. He's not great in any category, but he's good in everyone. I know he's going to get value down the stretch. I know he's going to give you a little steals, a little bit uh, of of uh, homers. He'll be decent in runs. Batting average won't kill you. Um, he's the kind of player you want, and I'm even willing to give somebody a little bit more valuable piece if they're very risky. Um, take a guy like Aristides Aquino, okay? Very low value, but... Uh, he's he's got uh, to me a lot of volatility. I can see Aquino as twenty homers down the stretch, or he can be a bench player and hardly bat. If you're in seventh place, that's the kind of guy that you need. It's the old finance trick, you know. If you, if you're in near a bankrupt position, you should switch your stock portfolio to very risky investments because hey, if they all go bunk, who cares? You're almost bankrupt anyways. But if they all go boom, well, that could put you from a deficit position into the 
black. So, you know, if you're playing and the, and the top three pay out and the bottom nine don't, um, you got to play like that. Just go for broke uh, and just get really risky players on your roster and hope they, uh, they strike it. Uh, you also mentioned about the standings and position. It also matters what team you're trading with and their standings in the position in in this their position in the sorry position in the standings also. Because let's say you're in third place and you're trading with the team that's second to in second to last place. What are their needs? Their needs are extreme. They need a lot. And to make a, t- a, a trade seem fair to the rest of the league, you may actually have to give up a little bit more to get what you want only because you're trading with a team that's lower down in the, in the standings. Otherwise, that trade is going to look very fishy. Well, that's to a other, whole different you know, story as to, as to fairness and stuff. Um, I mean, well, 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 then, then, you, then you have the idea of not having, let's say, the bottom three or bottom four t- teams in the standings be able to trade after a certain point. Yeah, I mean that that's a different discussion in terms of uh, uh, fairness of trades and stuff. I mean, let's talk about that now. Um, uh, Fred, you you recently made a trade in uh, NL Tout Wars, I believe. I think you're in first place, and you traded Ozzy Albies for Walker Bueller um, to a team that was pretty low down in the standings. Um, now Tout Wars has a special rule that um, you know if you finish with uh, fewer than a certain number of points in the league, then the next year you're penalized with fab so you know there's some incentive for for a bottom team um question is uh, is it enough to uh to to trade a too lower value of course what about uh, teams that uh, leagues that do not have that rule should high up teams be trading with teams that are in in very very low with a very low probability of winning the whole thing uh, what are your thoughts on that i think i've always felt like that there are really no, no rules for that you can trade for anyone you're sure you can trade with anyone at any point in the season if they want to make the trade um you know i like like i hope all the different managers have integrity and even if your team's lower in the standings i hope you're trading with the purpose of saving some pride and moving up in the standings and improving yourself but you know if the team in second is a perfect match in a certain way in a certain there's just there's only in in some team in some leagues nine in some leagues 11 and some leagues maybe third four 13 or 14 other managers so it's not like the major leagues where you've got about you know 29 other people to deal with so I mean, you find a team that's a good fit with you, and if they happen to be way lower in the standings or way higher in the standings, then so be it. Um, I've had teams, you know, my my labor team this year has struggled and is kind of middle of the pack right now, um, but was, like, way low. And I was trying to make trades, and I was way low. And I had a ton of injuries. Like, I couldn't believe how many injuries I had. Um, and I was trying to trade my way out of it. And I hope that everybody even if I tried to trade my way out of it right up until the deadline in that league, like I hope everybody would give me a fair shake and not say like, Oh, you're way down in the standings. I don't want to trade with you. Like I I'm trying to trade my way up. I'm trying to save some face. Like I was thinking, I don't want to finish in a 15 team league. I don't want to finish 12th. Like I, I don't like that. I, I want to try to move up even if it's to sixth or something like that. And I know there's no money for, well, there's no money in labor for any of it, but I know there's, there's no pride in finishing six but to me it would mean something to not finish 12th so i'll trade with anyone the trade i recently made was initiated in the nl tote was initiated by peter kreutzer who was the person i traded with he offered me a a pitcher for hitter trade and then we kind of tweaked it and uh, and made a deal um but but yeah he initiated it he's trying to move up in the standings i totally respect that because if i was in peter's position i'd be trying to do the exact same thing and for what peter wanted to do my roster, when you looked at the standings, was the absolute perfect fit for that deal. Yeah, I have a different different philosophy though. Um, 
uh, first of all, I think that leagues should make penalties for finishing last. I think that if, if leagues are going to pay out, I think there should be a pay scale all the way up and down. I think there right. should be a difference between 10th place and 9th place and 8th place, even if it's small, uh, because there has to be an aim. Because if there is no money given out, um, I, I actually don't think there, there should be trades. And uh, let me give you my reasoning for that. Um, you know, I'll talk about uh, stuff as, as I do as an actuary. So I work uh, with something. I, I hope people are interested in this. Um, but I work in something that's called reinsurance. Reinsurance is insurance for insurance companies. Um, now, if you have a, a company um, in America and uh, you also own a company in Bermuda, back in the old days when, you know, uh, the, the taxation rate was 35% in the U.S., but only 20% Bermuda, you certainly want, if you're going to make profit, you want to make the profit in Bermuda and not in the U.S., okay? So if, if you're going to, you can you, you can make a sort of a, a, a contract of, re, of insurance and just have all the profits funnel from America to, to um, Bermuda. That uh, is somewhat uh, distasteful. It's actually illegal to do that. You can't, you know, because it's business that business that's written in the U.S. You don't want it to go to Bermuda. Uh, that's certainly, the uh, the tax guys don't want that, and it's against the law. So, anytime we have a contract, there has to be fairness, and there are very specific tests that have to be performed. And that's one of my jobs at, at my company is to test that there is a there's a reasonable chance that either side can lose. If there's high insurance losses, if there's low insurance losses. The Bermuda can lose. The U.S. entity can lose. There has to be some kind of way. Um, in fantasy baseball, I think it's the same thing, but it's not reasonable. It's gain. Anytime there's a trade, there has to be a reasonable chance of a meaningful gain on both sides. Certainly, if you're in second place, you know your meaningful gain could push you into first. But if you're in last place and it's already almost the end of the year and you're 50 points out of the money, there is very, very little probability of you jumping up to the, the money. And so to me, there is no chance of a gain because you're not going to get in the money. So I think that is unbelievably unfair. And the team in last place, it, you should have traded earlier in the year. Well, what are you waiting till the last minute to balance your roster? It's unfair. Uh, and I, I take a very strong approach, uh, approach on that uh, point because um, I'm just looking for fairness. You're basically taking a player not in the money-making pool and throwing him to there, I mean, the, the second place team is getting a player um, and really giving nothing to a pool that that's going to have money. It, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, that's why I think that leagues need to have some kind of pay scale up and down so that there's a, a reason, a gain for something up and down the entire standing pool. Or turn the league or turn the league into a keeper league, and then it gives everyone a reason to have these uh, you know uh, profitable trades so that they'll have it for next year and the year after. Yeah, that's that's possible. No, although not everybody likes keeper leagues. I'm not a big keeper league guy. I just I don't know. It just hasn't really caught my fancy. So I understand what you're saying about. I, I understand what you're saying. That being said, I will say first of all, all the players are still in the competition for impacting who wins the league because even the team that's in last place isn't necessarily in last place in all the categories, and the team that's in last place could certainly you know what i mean like the team in last place could be fourth in steals and they could pass two guys in steals and those two guys could be two guys who are competing for first and and they could they can impact the standing so even even the players on the last place teams they're still impacting the overall standings because they're still in the league even though that team can't compete to win um i i understand from a from a like like a business financial sense what you're saying uh that being said like 
I've always said like once my name is on that team I care about where they finish like there is a pride aspect to playing in these fantasy leagues like I have never finished last or second last or third last on any of these expert leagues and I don't plan on doing that ever so if I'm in if I'm like in Tow Wars and I'm in 11th place out of 12 and until we hit the trade deadline I'm going to keep battling because it, it says Fred Zinke beside that team and I do not want ever for there to be a team down that low and if there's if there ever is going to be a team down that low with my name on it I want to know that I did everything I could to make sure that didn't happen because it means something to me and, and there is a pride aspect to these leagues like I said in the labor league it will mean something to me if I could finish like fifth with all the injuries I had in, on that team at the beginning of the year, if I can pull it up to like fifth or sixth and not be 12th out of 15, to me, that means a lot. It, yeah, I'm not going to, like, it's not going to, it doesn't mean as a lot as, maybe a lot as finishing first will to the guy who finishes first, but uh, but it means something to me. I would say that if, if you don't want people trading past a certain date in your league, then move your trade deadline up. So, like, I think the Tote Wars won, and I love Tote Wars, but the trade deadline's at the end of August. And I think that's probably too late. I think the trade deadline should probably be at the end of July, especially if you're worried about... If, like if you want to avoid those trades, just move your trade deadline up because leagues are still super can be super competitive after the trade deadline. Sure, but sure. I would say I would say you could move the trade deadline up. But there's so many factors from those bottom feeding yeah. teams. Like we're talking trades tonight, but there's whether they even submit their lineups. There's whether they still compete on the waiver wire. Like how many times have we seen teams that finish the that we have a thousand dollars fab and they finish the season with seven hundred and fifty dollars fab because right, they quit right. they quit halfway through and you're like man if that guy had kept competing. He could have wrestled some players away from the guy who beat me out to win the league. Like he had the fab to do it, and he just didn't even bother using it anymore. And you know the pickups were obvious, and he just he just isn't even doing it anymore. So I think just everyone competing to me, everyone competing to the end is really what we're striving for. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, there's a lot of great areas here, um, and uh, you know, good good to hear both sides of the coin. Again, the way to do it is to just change the rules a little bit. Uh, we had a rule in in uh, one of Ruben and I's home league that there was a trade deadline, but then there was a, an earlier trade line tra- trade deadline, so that the first the top third of the league would not be allowed to trade with the bottom third of the league. The you could the top third can trade with the middle third, the middle third can trade with the bottom third, and the middle can trade with anybody. But you can't have the top teams trading with the bottom teams past, let's say, the all-star break. And uh, the, the rest of the league, it was uh, first week in August. Uh, just to, to block out some of these type of uh, seemingly collusive yeah. trades or to, to keep people more engaged earlier. And, hey, you, you want to trade, you got to trade earlier uh, and get this done. I mean, but right. so, yeah, for sure. And I mean, sometimes a team in 10th place, they might have traded earlier. They might have traded earlier, middler, and later. Like they, they might yeah. have been doing all court sorts of things, and just nothing's working, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I can respect someone who's trying things, and and sometimes not trading is still trying. But uh, yeah, sometimes people who are low low in the standings, it's not like yeah. they didn't bother trading until July. They just they did trade maybe in April and May and June. It just it hasn't worked. Uh, you and I both had articles about uh, earlier Fernando Tatis and the possibility of trading him after that injury. But before we talk about that, it's time for the Injury Guru's Trivia of the Week. Trivia. 
So as we're going to jump into our discussion about Fernando Tatis Jr., he is currently the number one overall ranked fantasy player in most standard scoring leagues. And he was drafted in most leagues as either the first, second, usually sometimes third, but usually the first or second in most drafts this year. So the trivia for this week is, in the last 10 years, two players have either been drafted first or second and ended up the fantasy year being uh, value-wise first or second. Who are they? Amazing how that's not a lot, right? Only two. Two in the last 10 years have been drafted first or second and finished the year first or second. Correct. The last, in the last 10 years. 10 years. Okay. That's uh, a good one this week, Ruben. It's interesting. I mean, one of them, I mean, just, just you have to go back and think who were the top picks in the last couple of years. First yeah. two picks. Yeah, totally. I'm thinking back, like, I feel like Trout never actually is. I feel like I, I would say Trout's yeah, one of them, but I feel Trout. like he never is really first or second. Trout was one of them in okay. 2014 oh, really? and in 2016. I, I feel I just feel Twice. felt like in those 10 years, if we were occupying all the – that's 20 guys who have gone first or second. I felt like he was probably like six of them out of the yeah. 20, yeah. maybe seven out of yes. the 20. So I felt like Good to guess them just for uh, quantity, right? Yeah, yeah the yeah. best odds. Now the other one – um, so now I'm trying to think of other people who have been going first or second. I'll like give a you a hint. He's still in the league. Okay. He's <laughs> older. Miguel Cabrera? Yeah. Miguel Cabrera is correct. Ah, wow. 2012-2013, he <laughs> was <laughs> almost a consensus number one. You and, said still and, in the league. In, that means he's old. <laughs> well, in, uh, I'm sorry. In, in 2013, he was, he, was one, he was one. He was drafted number one usually, and he was... I think the second overall, and in 2012 he was drafted either first or second, but he ranked third, so Maybe he Pujols. almost got back the same value. Maybe Pujols if you, go, if you if you go back uh, long enough, right? Yeah. What yeah, year well, did you yeah. say was the trout? What was the trout year? 2014 and 2016. Oh wow! So, okay, Twice. so nobody's done it in the last like since 2016. Nobody's right. no. Yeah. The, the problem is, right. is everyone who everyone in those top picks have gotten injured, which brings us to Fernando Tatis. He was injured earlier this year, and and I know um, I was advocating and Ariel was advocating just a little bit also to maybe trade him because you don't know what you're going to get from the rest of the season. So then the question here is this: Were we wrong to say that at this point? I mean, this is a question of trading. Would you trade your top pick? Over, from from the entire draft during the course of the season, just because you think he's not going to get that value. Yeah, it's such a tough call. So I have him on my tout NL team, and he's obviously the biggest part of the puzzle right now. Um, so I was writing articles encouraging people to trade him, but I didn't actually trade him. That doesn't doesn't make me like a hypocrite or anything because <laughs> I would have traded him if somebody had given me a good offer for him. I would have traded him. Nobody gave me an offer for him in that league. Um, I thought about offering him out. Uh, I, I remember one of the offers I was considering was Pete Alonso, and I just couldn't get myself to send it. Like, I remember thinking about it and thinking about it, and I was like, ah, oh, I want a little more. I think he was a $27 player in the NL, and Tatis was 38. And I was like, oh, I just, I can't quite. And then I, I thought about offering him for Machado, and I thought, oh, the other guy will never take that. Like, at the time when he was was injured I was like the other guy will never take that and I didn't quite find my sweet spot and nobody offered me a deal and man am I ever glad that nobody offered me <laughs> a deal I don't think the advice we were giving was bad this is just a unique situation where a guy has been yeah like so incredibly talented that he's recovered from an injury 
quickly. More qu- everyone thought they were crazy when he came back. He comes right back and he's and he's like you said he's the number one player. Like I I don't I don't ever remember seeing something like this before. Yeah, I mean um, I think that the process was sound and the process was right. Um, and I don't I wouldn't take back the process. But going back thinking some of the numbers I put together, so I, I put together a probabilistic model and said, okay, well there's like a five percent chance he's going to come back in a month and. 10% chance he's going to come back the next three weeks, and uh, uh, there's a 35% chance he's out for the whole year. And I think that the problem with that model was not the model. It was the parameters. 35% chance for him out for the year, that was probably a little drastic. Maybe it should only have been 20%. Uh, not going to come back for a month, only 10% chance. Maybe it uh, should have been a little bit more, being that uh, the Padres said, no, no, he's gonna not going to miss much time. So I think that, that if I rejigger some of the math— I, I probably would have said, okay, I would trade him for Bo Bichette uh, instead of saying trade him for Javi Baez. You know, I, I, I think the process was right. And look, you know, there's a lot of risk in, in that top pick. And uh, when a guy looked that bad, and you know how many errors he was committing? He was committing so many errors. He did not look the least bit right. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm still astonished that he came back. I think everybody but is. So, so many people, so many people thought he wasn't going to come back. So many people, though, are married to that first or second pick. They're saying, you know what? I'm not going to trade him because he's either going to make my yeah, team or wrong, he's going to break my team. That's well, wrong, a, a lot of people think that. And then you go to the second round, and everyone with second Luis Castillo started not pitching well. People saying, you know what? There are probably more. It's 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 a difference of a round. That's that's the difference. No, no, no. But but Castillo was was bad performance. Uh, uh, And I guess you can throw in some injury. You know, hey, why is he performing bad? Maybe his injury. I mean, this was just a question of you don't know. Is he coming back? When's he coming back? That's just a a a health risk right right off the bat, and and a big one at that. Well, then what about trading Alberto Mondesi earlier this year? Would win that same idea then, isn't it? I mean, he's a second round player. Would you have been more willing to trade a Mondesi that much earlier? No, I mean, with Mondesi, I advocated not going anywhere near him with a 20 foot pole uh, because of the risk. But But if you had him, would you have traded him because of his injury? Because you think you think he's not going to come back? Because how much value did someone get out of Mondesi yet? It's the same. It's almost. It's it's similar, but it's not the same. But with Tatis, though, the trade market was there. If you if you said, "Hey, um, I'll take Javi Baez for Tatis," that trade market was right. Like I, you people, anybody who had uh, uh, Baez, or not anybody, but uh, uh, enough people who had Baez or somebody in that caliber would have said, "Okay, I'll take a gamble on on Tatis." Um, so you were able to get that Mondesi. I mean, what what are you? You know, if you drafted him. What are you going to get back from Mondesi? I don't know if there was a good trade available at that point. So, so I, when I was writing the Tatis uh, article, my my thought was it all depended on what replacement level level was in your league. So, for example, Tatis for Javi Baez to me made was I I can't stand Javi Baez, but if, if I could stand him, uh, value me, level yeah. from a value level that made sense. For example, in an NL only because the replacement level in NL only is a complete zero. Correct. Um, correct, it, correct. It might in a 15 team league I said something like Tim Anderson who was a couple rounds ahead of Javi Baez in drafts. And then in like a 10-team league, it was like Bo Bichette, like where I'm dropping correct, around correct, because correct. the replacement level is so high. And my thought wasn't that you would – there was a chance you could get a zero from Tatis the rest of the way, but there was also a chance you'd get some but have have spurts of injury and things like that. But I, I think the modesty point is interesting in the sense of he was a second-round pick more instead of a first-round pick. Um, but – 
you know, if you were like right now, his value has really cratered. But back when he had his first IL stint, there was still hope out there that he could come back and steal 30, 35 bases this season. Like he just, it just hasn't worked out. So back in April, if you had wanted to, you probably could have traded him for Javi Baez or something like that, right? Like, because he wasn't supposed to be out that long. I mean, his was different than Tatis too. Tatis's injury was kind of scary. True. Like, True. we were like, oh my gosh, this could rob this guy of his power. And there were people going on these huge tangents of like, this could be a career impacting injury and all these things. With Modesty, you were just like, well, this is just a base stealer with a hamstring injury. Like, it's it's disappointing. But in theory, and it hasn't happened. It's, it's So basically, what I think is the Modesty injury is the perfect way to point out what we were worried about with Tatis, what could have happened, right? Like you talk about about mitigating risk. The Mondesi injury is what we were worried about with Tatis. We were worried he'd come back, he'd re-injure his shoulder, you know, he'd be out for a long time, you'd get almost nothing from him. That's what we were trying to urge people to avoid. We were trying to say, you know, get something for this guy now if you can and just avoid that Mondesi situation. Because the truth is, like, the difference between the Tatis situation and the Mondesi situation is, from a fantasy perspective, is almost just dumb luck. Like, if you had Tatis sure. or if you had Mondesi, yeah. like, the Mondesi hasn't come back. He can't seem to shake this injury. Tatis shook it in 10 days, and now yeah. he's fine. When they were both out in April, we didn't know. It could have been the other way around. Mondesi could have come back in May and started running bases, stealing bases like crazy. And Tatis could have had the shoulder injury nag all season. And we didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, hey, all right, any any other thoughts, guys, before we move on to uh, our next section? No, I, I, I think I think we nailed it. And for those people who did trade Tatis, I feel sorry for you. Unless, you know, <laughs> you're, you traded for a pitcher that's been doing well. You know, if you can transform it to something that you were lacking in the in the draft, then that's fine. But if you're looking just for a complete replacement, then you sort of failed. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our waiver wire section. That's where we talk about a few potential waiver wire pickups for this week. Fred, you're the guest. We'll start with you. Name a player or two that... Uh, you think that people should be paying attention to and possibly pick up? Yeah, so I wasn't sure totally what you guys were, were driving for for league size. So I kind of prepped, you know, some, some different uh, some different thresholds. Yeah. Um, Austin Gomber's one for leagues that are maybe, I'd say, 12 teams. Uh, he dropped waivers when he was hurt in some of those leagues. So he's going to come back or is back and um, has two road starts next week. So I think Gomber's an interesting uh, guy to pick up right now because you know anytime you get those Rockies pitchers for road starts the matchups aren't great next week they're the Angels and the, and the Padres but uh, Gomber was really pitching well so I have some interest in him uh, when he's outside of Coors and then for deep leagues and I've, I don't usually say this guy's name out loud since he's been in the majors but uh, John Nagowski for deep leagues is someone who's kind of caught my eye uh, from the Pirates uh, he's hitting 319 uh, looking at his minor league profile, there's not a lot of power there. But first base isn't deep, and there's teams out there that need batting average. And I think he can hit for average in the majors, and I just think there's a lot of playing time opportunity on the Pirates the rest of the way. So there'll probably be even more after the trade deadline. So I could see him playing regularly the rest of the season. I don't know exactly what Nagowski can be in the majors, but he never really got a chance prior to this year. Um, and his minor league on base percentages are quite high. So, I mean, and his strikeout to walk rates are good. So I think he could handle himself at the plate in the majors. So I don't think Nagowski's going to win your league, but if you're looking to move up in the batting average category, I think he's an interesting guy. That really, I don't find people are really talking about him at all. No, not at all. Uh, good pick. Uh, Ruby? 
I can't believe you took him because I was about to mention him too. That's kind of funny. Um, I actually went to I went to a, a Pirates Met game and and he actually got a hit off of Diaz and he looks for real. He comes from the Cardinal mold, just like yep. Randy Rosarina did. And if he can get hot, a la um, Rosarina, not obviously in the playoffs because the Pirates aren't going anywhere. Wow. But he's going to get his playing time. He's only eight percent owned in CBS. He's twenty two for sixty six. So it's there is a significant amount of of at bats there to get something for. And he is he's hitting. If you need something for batting average, you need someone to fill in. Colin Moran, I don't know when he's coming back. He's still injured. He's been on and off injured the whole season. I, I think Nagowski will get a lot of playing time. They even made to try to put him in the outfield. I wouldn't be surprised about that also because they're kind of thin there. And as soon as they start trading people away, I think he'll get even more playing time. Another guy I want to mention, we, a guy we mentioned a lot on the show, is Peter Fairbanks. I mean, we mentioned him a ton. J.P. Fireisen went on the aisle with shoulder issues, and Peter Fairbanks went through a rough spot where his ERA jumped up a little bit. But in the last seven appearances, he's allowed one hit and no walks. He has two stolen bases also in the last week. He's only 16% on in CBS, and he's definitely a guy, if you're looking for saves, that's a, that's a guy to grab, especially because you see now already that the Rays are boosting their lineup. They're going to have a better team. They just got Nelson Cruz. So they're going to get a lot more save opportunities, I think. And one other guy I wanted to mention, I really didn't th- think about it that much until I actually heard Aaron Boone talking about him. That's Greg Allen. Greg Allen was brought up by the Yankees. He's, he was always known for his speed when it was with Cleveland. He never got really a good chance. He's actually hitting pretty well ready to start the season. He's batting 417. Yes, it's only 12 at-bats, but he's getting playing time because he because of injuries. And and you don't see John Carl Stanton play in the outfield. But that's what I heard today. Earlier today, Aaron Boone said that they're going to start putting John Carl Stanton into the outfield this weekend. If that's the case, Greg Allen may not get as much playing time. But still, you need a stolen base guy. This may be your Jared Dyson for the year. I think that's incredible that you guys both came up with Nagowski and uh, I, feel, I can't uh, believe I can't believe that. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna throw uh, one dart and I'll give you a couple of people that I think are underowned. Uh, I'll do the dart last. Uh, underowned pitcher um, Logan Webb, more for shallow leagues. Um, yes. Yeah, very underowned. He's less than forty percent owned on CBS. Uh, I don't know why. Now he has got uh, his two start this week, although it's against the Dodgers and Houston. Um, and so actually. I'm telling you it's the time to pick him up because uh, there'll be left people interested in him this week because of those tough matchups. But this guy has a 3.54 ERA, and that's justified by a 3.03 XFIP. He, he's for real. Um, 60 strikeouts and 56 innings. I have a statistic that I do it's called MPDI, Maddox Plate Discipline Index, and that basically gives the Greg Maddox philosophy of pitching. So Greg Maddox used to say, you know what, you know who the best pitchers are? It's it's you uh, you throw something outside and the and the batter swings, and when you throw it down the middle, they don't swing. Um, Logan Webb is one of the best guys in all of baseball to do this. Sixteen percent of all pitches that he throws are thrown for strikes. Not swung. Um, only 24% of his pitches are thrown in the zone and swung on. That is the fourth lowest in baseball. Um, you know, this is somebody who I like his stuff. I like his his attack uh, approach, and he's getting it done. He's so underowned. Um, another underowned guy, uh, Jose Iglesias, less than 30%. Um, I like these batting average guys. He's batting 281. He's getting tons of playing time, 316 plate appearances, seven homers, four stolen bases. He's got 38 runs. That that matters in fantasy. Batting average and runs, they're the categories that are very correlated with success in fantasy baseball. So I think he's underowned, and he gets a lot of playing time. 
And uh, Heimer Candelario, less than 50% owned. Another guy, he's got a robust 269 average, looks legit. Uh, he's only had six homers this year, but I think it should be more. His homer to fly ball ratio is a bit unlucky, 7.5. He's actually better in OBP leagues. He walks a lot, 11%, uh, which is, he's doing this year, and that's uh, what he's been doing all his career. He's what I call a low-variance player. He's pretty stable. Again, it's if you're in if you, if you're in uh, first place, if you're in second place, you need a spot in a corner infielder. I think that's a really good pickup for stability. You know, up, you know we do these waiver wires and we're just throwing out guys, but sometimes it really matters. Again, what kind of roster you have? If you've got a risky roster, you want more of the Nagalskis, less of the Candelarios, and the reverse is true. Um, and the dart I'll throw is Bradley Zimmer, five percent owned. In his last 10 games, batting 324 with two homers, two stolen bases. He's got that power-speed blend, but here's what I look at. He's now batting leadoff. When you're batting leadoff, I don't care what you're doing, you're going to get some runs. Uh, he's hot right now. For deeper leagues, I would throw that dart at Bradley Zimmer. Anyone else you want to throw in, uh, Fred? I think um, I think you just made a... I, I just want to piggyback on your point you made um, about Iglesias and some of these guys. Oh, I'll throw in Nico Horner. Yeah. Um, no, not much. I hit for power in the spring. I just think the Cubs lineup is getting gutted, and he should be hitting high in it down the stretch. He's hitting 321. He's only 16% rostered in Yahoo, which, like, I find crazy. He's three positions eligible. Um, anyways, what I was going to say with your Jose Iglesias is, um, I, I really, I, 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 he's on what I call my Freddie Galvis All Stars, and those are like my players who have no upside, but they just play every day. And by the end of the season, they have like 15 or 20 homers or they or maybe they're a 12 homer, 10 steal guy or something. But kind of in homers and steals are going to finish like 15 to 20 combined. But there's no real upside with them. Um, but there's also not much downside. And they just they just accumulate pay, playing time. They don't hurt your batting average. Sometimes they even help it. I think in in April, you can steer away from those guys and chase right the potential breakout guys but like we're probably already past honestly the time of year where you need to add those guys like it was probably about june where your early season breakouts are done and i mean obviously you can pick up the durans and those guys who get called up and are exciting but uh the guys like iglesias uh can be really valuable especially if your team's already doing well and that doing well doesn't necessarily mean first it can mean even like third and you just want more depth to steady the ship like slow and steady can win the race where you just grind your way up some categories with guys like Iglesias and I don't know I think we're, I think like I said I think we've hit the time in the year where it's time to stop chasing other than like someone really interesting but generally time to stop chasing these stats that are never going to come and just accept life and grab Jose Iglesias and, and just enjoy the steady production yeah, no, it's a great point. Again, it, it matters what time in the, you know, just as I said, it matters your standing, but it also matters the time of the year. Early, you're yeah. looking for the upside. Here, you're looking for the playing time. Um, so it just, you know, these these advice columns and waiver wires, it's not just uh, the player, it's the player and the situation. Um, so that's a good point there. All right, quick pitcher preview. Is there any pitchers that are coming up in the next week that either has a good two-start week or one good start that you like to pick up? Yeah, so I mentioned Gomber. Um, you know, with my waiver wire pickups, but anytime I can get, well, actually, I wouldn't say any. I would, I would say basically none of the of the Coorsville pitchers. But if I get Gomber, I think that that's a pretty good one. Um, I've been chasing pretty hard people who are facing the Rockies on the road, or generally the Diamondbacks or the Pirates or the Marlins. Um, so just you know, some guys who are facing some of those teams, um, Adrian Hauser 
uh, will go to Pittsburgh. Um, Eric Lauer should go to Pittsburgh. That's a those those would be guys I would be interested in for that reason. Um, guys who I, I don't really like the guys who are facing the Diamondbacks last week, so I'll probably stay away from them. Um, but I think I think those guys who are facing the Pirates, those Brewers who are facing the Pirates, I think that could be uh, favorable matchups for those guys. And Hauser's available in some shallower leagues, and Lauer's available in a lot of them. Yep. Moving. Yeah, I was going to mention actually a, pi- a possible Pirates pitcher. I'm a little nervous about him, but Tyler Anderson, he's two-start, and he's actually pitching with some length. His last three starts, he's gone a total of 18 innings and gotten 14 strikeouts. He's playing the Brewers one game, and he's going to be playing, I believe it's supposed to be the Phillies and Matt Moore. So it's not that bad of a matchup, but whether or not he's going to, you're going to get any wins out of him, that's questionable, which is why I'm a little nervous about getting him. But there is the one-start guy that I'm looking at, and because he may be two-start the following week, because this is the time of year when he should be looking at future two-star pitchers, and that's Cal Quantrill. He's one-start against St. Louis. He's eligible both as a reliever and a starting pitcher in CBS, and he's owned only owned in 11 leagues, 11% of leagues. So he's a guy you may want to get, not just for this week, but maybe for next week when you have two starts, and he's got the upside. He can strike out people. He, he did, he's done it before. If you can turn it around and turn it on and have a great week, he may help you do really well that week. Yeah, I don't really see many pitchers this week. Uh, I think this week I'm actually going to focus more on some closer darts and second guys. You know, get the David. We talked about him a lot, but get the David Bednars right now on your team. You know, that, that's got to be a priority. Um, Brett Anderson, I'll throw another brew in there. Goes, yep. uh, goes to Pittsburgh. I love Brett Anderson. Uh, he's not going to get you the strikeouts, but he has a good shot at going deep into the game, and he doesn't walk many people. Um, so I like those guys. Uh, looking at Michael Waka. Um, got a good start against the Yankees, but then he faces Boston. Uh, it's tough, but he's been very good in those last three starts. One and zero record, three ERA, eighteen strikeouts in his last fifteen innings. Um, you know, sometimes players go on a streak, and Waka is on such a streak right now. All right, we got a couple of mailbag questions here. Some good ones this uh, this week. Uh, Maze Copeland asks, uh, "Do you have any rules for trading with teams higher in the standings? If I'm running." Third, fourth, I have a hard time ever justifying a trade with the first place owner. Trading with second is usually a no-go, but I'll consider it. So he's talking about not the last place to first place. He's just talking about from fourth to, to, to second. Um, I, I, I think there's nothing wrong with that, Fred. Yeah, I think that's totally fine. Maybe, I mean, if you don't want yeah. to do it because – if you don't want to do it because you just feel like you look at the standings and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm giving the guy in first a closer – if he gains four points and saves, like I think we'll never catch him. Uh, I think that's fair, but I honestly look at the other team probably a lot less than most people do. I mostly just, I want to make a deal that makes sense for the other team. But once I establish that, then I'm mostly thinking about my own team because there's just so many variables. Like you could be like, oh, I'll never catch this team. They have Tyler Glass now and Clayton Kershaw. You know what I mean? And I'll never catch them. And here we are a couple of weeks, a few weeks after I thought that and they're both a hurt. And, and now all of a sudden there's a window to catch them. So there's just so many variables, like because yeah. we deal with such large rosters and there's so many injuries that where, you know, I, I'm mostly just trying to think about making my, my own team more complete. Yeah. Ruvain, you have any issues with it? 
I don't have any issues except for the fact that I don't want to be on the end where you trade. You're in fourth place and you trade with the second place team, and the second and that trade puts them over the top and helps them win. That'll just be very frustrating. So I, I don't have a problem doing it as long as I think that I had the better chance of of getting on the upside at the end. I mean that's what everyone thinks that when they're making a trade. But if you think that there's any possibility where the other team will benefit more than you will and they're above you in the standings, I would not do it. But if they're below you in the standings, it actually helps you because they can steal points from the teams that are above you. Yeah. I mean, uh, if I'm any owner in, in a league, I hate when people trade because essentially if the teams do it right, it helps both teams. And if it helps both teams, it hurts my team. So any trade not not involving Ariel Cohen should theoretically hurt Ariel Cohen. So I'm always like, eh. uh, Darrell but don't asks, veto, but but don't veto them. Don't veto them for just for that reason. That's the wrong uh, reason to veto. A trade. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, yeah. We 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 have some, <laughs> we play in some leagues with some crazy guys. Anyways, yeah. uh, Darrell asks, uh, I'm trying to fill my last utility spot. Grossman. J.D. Davis, Conforto, McNeil are all options. Three of three Mets. Which do you like rest of season? I think it's Conforto by a country mile. What do you, do you agree? Yep. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Right? 100%. Right. Yep. Next question. Carl asks, currently in, in last in a dynasty league due to injuries and some bad luck. I own Mike Trout, and I'm wondering if I should trade for a haul and what a good haul would be. Or should I hold and hope for a better 2022? I don't play in Dynasty Leagues. Um, do you play a lot of Dynasty, Fred? None, actually, None. no. I, I love one-year leagues. I'll be honest. Like I know a lot of the most serious players love Dynasty Leagues. I love one-year leagues. I love starting fresh every year. I love the newness of it. Um, I, not, it's, it's just a t- to each their own scenario. Yeah, I mean, for for me, I, I I don't have the time to get so involved in the minor leagues. And I uh, listen, the dynasty players, God bless them. You know, they they have a bigger understanding of the player pool than me. I make my money on the valuation, on the projections, on the auction strategy and theory. I, I you know, going deep into knowing who the you know, the draft pick is for this guy, and he's in single A now, but he projects to be. I, I don't have the time to do that, so. I like doing uh, redraft more, and you know, I also like fr- starting from fresh. But uh, let, let's attempt to uh, to answer it anyways. If you're Trout and you know you, you're you're there, I think it really depends on the rest of your dynasty league, um, and it depends on what you think you can get back in Trout. Trout, I I wouldn't go over the approach of what should I get back in Trout. I think that um, it, you know it, it depends on how good the rest of your team is. And what the market is for Trout right now, I mean, he's certainly injured, and I would say you'd have to wait a little bit for him to get going, and maybe you can get a big haul. Uh, Certainly, if you're not close for 2022, I would trade it. If you're close, I mean, there's no better player than Mike Trout to have in your roster. That's how I would handle it. Well, Trout is 29 years old. He was one of the top five picks this year. I think he's going to be one of the top five picks next year. He may even be another top five pick the following year. He still has another couple of very good years left in him. You'd have to get a really good haul in order to trade him because you're going to be trading away a a possible potential top five player for at least the next three years. You can't guarantee that in any dynasty league and any guy you're getting from a single A or double A. Like, let's say, hypothetically, you're big on Jason Dominguez. A lot of people are big on him because he's this big guy. His nickname is The Martian. He's going to be the next Aaron Judge. Would you trade Jason Dominguez and let's say a top a top pitching prospect for for a proven commodity like Mike Trout? I don't. I can't see doing that. It's it's very situ. Yeah, it, these dynasty questions tend to be very situation um, specific. Um, that being said, I will say for Trout, like he's obviously like 
still arguably the best player in baseball. Although I, I know there's some young guys who could like Tatis could certainly take a run. Vlad can take runs at him and things like that right now. Um, from a fantasy perspective though, uh, Trout doesn't steal bases anymore. And that matters a ton in fantasy. So um, if you look at going back to last season, 99 games, uh, he's got 25 homers. Okay, so let's pace that out. So it's like a 40 homer guy, 43, 44 homer guy. So one of the most powerful players in baseball. But he's got three steals. So he's a, like a five steal guy. And he's about a 300 hitter in that stretch. So he's really good. Um, he's a first round pick again next year. But he's not Tatis at this point in his career because uh, he doesn't steal bases. I, I, I don't remember back to the question, like if he specified the format, scoring format. But um, so my mind always goes to Roto. But uh, in a Roto format, like, uh, like I'd be open to trading Trout. I, I'd certainly. I'd have to get a good haul, obviously, but I'd be open to it. I, I don't think I'd be open to trading Tatis. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't do dynasty, but you know, when when I make projections and do valuations, it's a one year projection. I would imagine that to really do this correctly, you'd have to project out, but also you'd have to, uh, in terms of valuation on your team, you'd have to sort of have a target of when when is your target? Is do you think that you're going to be good next year in three years? And the values that you would want to trade players for and against would really have to be pitted against time. So it's a very, very complicated approach really to do it right. And, you know, one-year projections are very highly variable. What do you think three-year projections are? I mean, if you if, if I said to you, give me, you know, rankings of the next five years, just rankings, you know, and let's do a draft. It's a really hard challenge, just five years. Do you know who in, in five years from now are going to be the top ten? I, I bet you that if you pick ten players, maybe one or two of them will actually be in the top ten. If that, if that, you know. Right. Eric's question is, how do we view uh, Kellenick's value moving forward? Ruben and I have never heard of this guy, Kellenick, so maybe you can help us. Who is he? I don't know who he is. I don't know who he is. We're Mets fans, so we, we don't know who he is. <laughs> uh, well, he's supposed to be a good player, but he hasn't actually been one so far. So um, I, I'm at my wit's end with Kelnick, and I have him in some leagues. He just went to Coors Field for two games. I was like, this has to be it. Like, you have to get, like, three <laughs> hits in those. Like, I, I was disappointed it was only two games, but I was like, you've got to get the three hit, like three hits or a home run or something. How about... 0 for 7, 3 strikeouts in the two games. I give up. I don't know what to do with him. I don't want to cut him. I don't want to cut him. Rest of season? Rest of season? I mean, if if you're in a redraft league, I I mean, I I think his value depends on the size of your league, but if you're in a 10-12 team league, I don't know that you really need to roster him in the redraft. 10, cut him. Yeah, I'm I'm in 15, so 10, cut him. 15, it's close for the rest Uh, of season. His last home run was on May 24th. Um, you know, like he didn't even homer. He didn't homer for a long time before he was sent down. He hasn't homered since he's been back. He, he's got three hits since he's been back and five games. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do with him. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm going to wait till Sunday because at least I have until Sunday. I'm going to probably resist cutting him at least for a little bit. But uh, well, here, here's, here's, a, here's a better question. Who's going to have more value rest of season? Jared Kalenic or Wanda Franco? Franco. Franco, I guess. So? Yeah. And I'm I would not, have never I mean, said that before. Yeah, Franco. I can't I can't I can't say Kel- I can't say Kelnick like over anyone right now. No, no. I'd rather have Holy Iglesias in my roster. 
Well, if, if you're if you're going for a title, if if you're tops in your league, you can't stomach Kalenic in your lineup. You have to bench him. I, like uh, in in one of my leagues, I had him. I I sat I, in Wander Franco. I sat him because I'm somewhere near the top, and his batting average is killing me. He's Wander Franco's batting two hundred. He's batting. If you're 200. in last place, if you're in last place, you got nothing you keep, to lose. You, you keep yeah, you keep Kalenic. It's again the risk thing. There's upside, but I think that the, his median is pretty low. So if you're in uh, last place, seventh place, eighth place, um, probably doesn't pay to cut him because maybe, 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 maybe. Uh, yep. If you're in first, second place, uh, there is m- plenty more people who are more beneficial to your roster than Kalenic right now. Even 15 leads in redraft. It's a dynasty keeper. Totally different question. I'm not going to give up on him yeah. just yet. Ben- bench spots also matter so much. Like if you're in a league with like three or four bench spots, or you have a lot of injuries, so you're basically down to three or four bench spots, then I don't know if you can keep them. Like say in an NFBC where you've got seven bench spots, if your team's healthy and you can hold him in one of those seven bench spots, almost treating him as like he's still in the minors and you're waiting. What you're really waiting for is, him, is for him to come around rather rather than for him to be promoted. Um, I could see that. Um, I think that's might how might be how I handle him in my 15-team NFBC leagues is if, if, if I have injuries, he's gone. If my team's healthy and I've already got like two or three starters and a me and a reliever also after the trade deadline it doesn't make as much sense to stash potential closers because there's not gonna be any more trades so um you sure, know so sure. some of those guys maybe you can drop i'm gonna have to look at it if, if he makes it through if we'll see if he makes it through this sunday for me i'm, I'm not convinced sure if he will he i hope i kind of hope he does i hope he does something to make me want to keep him yeah i was gonna say the question is you know what would it take uh for him over the next seven days for you to say let's put him in the lineup be, well, listen. Before he went to Coors Field, he had a yeah. three-game hitting streak. So he, yeah, he yeah. It looked like he was starting to turn it around, and then he goes and he. he it's a matter of him. I think he's pressing too much. I, I think he needs to get at least a two. He needs to get a hit in the next two out of the three games to keep him on your roster. You think? Uh, yeah, but I mean, the three-game hitting streak was three singles, and over those three games, he had six strikeouts and no walks. Like he's just. I don't get it, but he's he crushes it when he's in the minors. But he, and he, the fact he steals bases makes him so potentially valuable. Even down the stretch, if he could just get it going and hit like two forty with like a homer a week and a steal a week, like that would be amazing. So, uh, yeah, I like I said, well, all he's got to do first of all, I just want to see what he's got to do to stay on my roster, which is just show some signs of life during the weekend series. Like a couple hits or something like that. Some sign of life. And if he can make it to my roster through the trade deadline, the MLB trade deadline, then he'd have a better chance of sticking on it because waiver wires, like once we get past trade deadline, there's that initial surge, maybe the Sunday after that. Yeah, if he can get through there, then maybe he could stick on it. I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough one. Why don't you try trading him then? Because they're NFBCs, so I can't trade them. Yeah, oh, I don't yeah. have and, him well, in any... any any non-NFBC league. You should consider trading because you yeah, probably redraft. get redraft. something for him. But in Dynasty, you should trade four for him because you should trade for him now because his value yeah. is hurt uh, for this year. People are down on him. Okay, I'll trade you. Uh, I'll trade Kellenic now. So you know, now it's a point to trade for him in Dynasty. In redraft, though, yep. yeah. But my, minus one war in the year six WRC plus. That means he's ninety four percent below. Major League average. Uh, players who do not have a minus one, uh, Ariel Cohen has a zero war, so does Ruvain, so does Fred Zinke. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not good if you have a minus one war. I mean, the team is letting him play through that to accumulate. He's hurting. Basically, the team has lost an entire game by playing him, is the theory. <laughs> 
you know, so there you go. There's, yeah, there's not, like, even his stat cast data, like, he has been unlucky, but his XBA is 181. Like, he should, like, yeah. stat cast is saying he should be a 181 hitter. It's still um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. But yeah. that being said, it's still all small samples, and this guy's super talented. He could turn around any time, but. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll see if if I if I keep him through Sunday. I wish I had him in a league where I could trade him away, but I don't. For Met fans, that make the trade look not as bad. Yes, totally. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we'll, so, we'll, we'll see. And, and unfortunately or unfortunately, the Cano suspension also makes the trade look yeah. better. Yeah. Looks better. <laughs> All right, uh, Ruvain, injury report. Go for it. Okay, well, let's start with those Mets. We'll start with Jacob deGrom, who is on the aisle with forearm tightness. He said he will not return until his tightness has subsided, which means he doesn't have a current time frame. His MRI was clean. There's nothing wrong with it. And the last couple days, he's actually been tossing at City Field. So he is throwing. No issues yet, so we'll see how that goes. Another Met, Francisco Lindor, is on the aisle with an oblique strain. The MRI showed a grade 2 oblique strain. They said it's not a day-to-day thing. It's more a week-to-week thing. His fill-in was Jose Peraza, but he broke his finger. So now the fill-in for him is Luis Guillorme and Jonathan Villar. So if those guys are available... Uh, Luis Guillorme, he's he's actually underrated. He's known for his defense, but he has a very good average if you look him up. And Jonathan Villar has over 10 home runs. He has 11 home runs, I think, this year. So if you need a, uh, if he's available in leagues, pick him up because they're going to continue to get playing time. Nick Castellanos, who playing for the Reds, he was diagnosed with a right wrist microfracture seen only on CT scan. Now, we're assuming that happened during the course of his original injury, but he did come into that crazy 15-11 Mets win when they played him. He actually batted, he swung one-handed, and hit the ball to the right field warning track one-handed. It's very possible, I'm not saying it's true, but it's very possible that this microfracture may have occurred on the swing because now he can't swing. So the fact that he had this injury before and nothing was shown, now means maybe this little thing, think of a bone like a piece of ice. Sometimes you can see those little tiny cracks, but sometimes you need a little more to get a little crack. Nick Castellanos, I don't know when he's going to come back. Shogo Akiyama is going to fill in and see some more playing time. Another guy who's been an MVP for a lot of uh, fantasy teams is Brandon Crawford. He's on the IL with a left ob- oblique strain. There's, we don't know how long he's going to be out, and that's going to be an issue. And I want to mention one other guy, Zach Eflin. He was placed on the IL with right patellar tendonitis. He had surgery in 2016 to repair both of his knees because of a patellar tendon issue, and it's a very strong possibility that his knees are acting up now. The Phillies aren't overly concerned. They said he may only miss one or two starts, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's more. The Phillies haven't named anyone to take his place. They had a bullpen day for the first day he was there. Um, the earliest he can be activated is July 28th. I don't know if that's going to happen. And two guys, I'm going to end the positive. You, man- you mentioned Alec Manoa earlier. He's supposed to come back next week. He had a back injury because he slipped on the stairs in the dugout. And Jazz Chisholm, he's also supposed to come back next week. He already was seen today. Picking, uh, doing grounders, and he seems his shoulder seems to be okay, and he will come back next week after a couple of rehab games. You know, I suggested to pick up uh, Aquino on the Reds uh, before. Um, certainly, with Castellanos out, that increases his playing time. I, I like that dart of Aquino. He can he can hit twenty homers. You know, he's a dart. I have him in you know a quarter of my leagues or so. Very, very, very underrated uh, for the risk potential upward. All right, Fred, this has been a fantastic show. I knew it would be. Uh, you just have a, a, a great mind for fantasy baseball. You think things analytically and very soundly. Uh, great writer over at Yahoo. Do a fantastic job on the Rotowire podcast on Tuesdays with Jeff Erickson. Uh, what else did I miss uh, with you? 
<laughs> I, I think that's about it. I think that and just being a dad and a husband is about the full extent of, of what I do. Um, yeah, no, I, I write for Yahoo and I get I get on the podcast for Rotowire every week with Jeff and um, and dabble in a lot of other fantasy sports too, uh, not just baseball. But yeah, you're, like you said, I, like, I really enjoyed this episode and we'll make sure we do this again sometime. Sounds great. You can follow Fred at Fred Zinke MLB on Twitter. Ruvain, why don't you uh, tell us what's going on for you? You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I retweet and tweet out injury updates that are going on in the league, how long I think they're going to be out based on my medical opinion, and who's going to take their spot when they are out. I also have an article coming out on a weekly basis at Rotoboard discussing all these injuries and more. All right, my name is Ariel Cohen. You can uh, read my work over at Fangraph, Sportsline, and Rotoballer. I just had that article come out about the Maddox Plate Discipline Index. Take a look at a couple of uh, undervalued starters and relievers uh, based on that statistic that you may not have thought of. Check it out on Rotoballer. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY. And, of course, you can listen to me right here each week on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. Once again, thank you so much, Fred Zinke, for coming on the show. And to all of us, uh, to all of you out there, see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. Follow us on Twitter at Beat underscore shift underscore pod.